Amen. Well, hey, this is uh, the continuation of our series, This Is My Story. We've been talking about the fact that your life is a story. Um, Your story is history, and it may also, well, I'm sorry, your story is history, right? It happened, it's also his story. It's also part of what God wants to use to help minister to other people, okay? And so uh, we want to encourage you, and I hope you've been encouraged this whole summer, as we've listened to people's stories here at the church, as we've studied the stories of people throughout Scripture. Uh, In Scripture, we study the life of Judas, uh, which is not someone you typically talk about a whole lot in church, but I think we learned a lot from that. We studied Nehemiah, and then we've heard from several different people all, all throughout the church. It's been really, really awesome. Have you all enjoyed the testimonies and the stories that you've heard? I really have. It's been really good, yeah. Um, we, have, we have one more next week. Uh, our altar, one of our altar ministry team leaders, uh, Pamela Moon, is going to be sharing and I've heard part of her testimony before, and it is awesome. I'm telling you, you're going to want to hear this, and you're going to learn. She's got a lot of wisdom. You're going to learn a lot of stuff along the way as well. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about Naomi. Now, Naomi's found in the book of Ruth, okay? Uh, but we're going to focus in on Naomi. H- have you ever found it hard to trust God? I mean, come on, let's be honest. I know everyone's in church and, you, you know, sometimes you want to just act like, oh, everything's perfect. Look at all my children. They're all color-coordinated. We're smiling. Ha-ha, <laughs> happy white teeth, right? But sometimes it's hard to trust God. It's hard to trust anyone sometimes. And so to illustrate this, my youngest son Isaac and I uh, did a quick little video illustration for you to help um, hopefully you can identify with this when it comes to trusting. This is called trust fall. Okay, Isaac, we're going to do a trust fall for everyone, okay? Okay. All right, so here's how this works. Uh, you're going to fall, and I'm going to catch you. Okay. All right, do you trust me? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, are you ready? Uh-huh. One, two, three, fall. didn't quite go according to plan. <laughs> How many of you have had situations where you felt like you were sure that God was going to catch your fall and blam, you hit the floor, right? Yes. Yes, those things happen sometimes. And so we want to talk about trusting God. And it's a great story. Uh, the story of Naomi is a great story. Um, she actually asks um, the question, has God abandoned me? Has God abandoned me? And so how we're going to do this is I'm just going to kind of tell you the story of Naomi. We're going to check in with scripture. But just so you know, uh, the text here is Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, you can remember because Joshua judges Ruth, and Joshua shouldn't judge anyone. Um, but that's the Joshua judges Ruth, and okay, just forget it. All right, so, so Ruth is after the book of, of Judges. Uh, and, and, and the story takes place during the time of Judges. Just so you know what's going on. Y'all know uh, Moses, you know, let my people go. And the people, the children of Israel are out of Egypt on the way to the promised land. Well, Moses never made it to the promised land, okay? But Joshua did, and he was next in line. He took the people into the promised land. And then it was a really weird situation. They'd come out of hundreds of years of bondage and slavery. And so the government 
for the people of Israel was by judges. It was a theocracy. You were supposed to follow the law of God that was given to the people on Mount Sinai, okay? But in order to make sure people did it, because we don't always do what we're supposed to, there were judges that God raised up. It was a period of about 300 years, okay? And it was terrible, (laughs) It was really bad. When you leave people to do what they want to, uh, things don't happen. I mean, it's a crazy chapter. Like, people are getting chopped up. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the book of Judges, okay? Um, and, and so, uh, but in the middle of, of this time, we have the story of Naomi. And so, what's happening is Naomi is married to a guy named Elimelech, okay? They are from Bethlehem, which is a city in the region of Judah. There are, 10, there are 12 tribes, okay? Uh, in the area, and Judah is one of the ones at the southern tip, okay? And so they're in the city of Bethlehem. They have two sons, and probably because of all the war and craziness that's going on during this period, there is a famine in the land, okay? There's a famine. In other words, it's really, really hard to get food. It's really, really hard to get water. It's probably hard to find work. And so they decide we are going to move. Now, just think about that for a second. How bad would things have to be here in Thomasville, Thomas County, in our region, for you to move to the next state? Because there wasn't enough food here. I mean, that's like emergency. You know they waited it out for a while, hoping that things would get better. And then finally they said, look, we just can't handle this anymore. We're going to have to move, right? So they go to an area that's actually a little bit farther south and across from the Dead Sea called Moab. Called Moab. They go to Moab, Okay. While they're in, and they've got two sons, so it's Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons. They move to Moab. There's better opportunities there. But within 10 years' time, tragedy happens. Not only does Naomi's husband, Elimelech, pass away, but her two sons, after getting married, both pass away. So within 10 years' time, Naomi, who had a good life, she was married, things were going well for her, Tragedy strikes at home. She can't get any food anywhere. She has to move. It's so bad. And then when she moves, not only does her husband die, but her newly married sons both die. That's tough. I know many of you have experienced death, and you know that when you experience the death of loved ones, especially if it's back to back to back, it's just overwhelming. Things aren't going good for Naomi. She hears, though, that the famine in the area of Bethlehem and Judah is over. So she decides, well, I guess I'm going to go back home. Because there's really, it, women back then did not have the same opportunities as men. And it, was, it was required that there was someone take care of a widowed woman. Okay? There was the, she couldn't just go get a, a job at the Dollar Tree or whatever. And so the, the, she had to be taken care of, so she goes back home. Thinking, I guess someone's going to take care of me. At least the Jewish law provided for widows, okay? So she goes back. She has her two daughters on the road. She turns to her daughters and says, look, <laughs> look, you don't want to, look, this is not going to end well. You don't want to be around me, all right? This is not going to happen. I can't provide more sons for you. Y'all need to get remarried, okay? Need to go be happy. Just leave me, okay? And, and, and. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go do something, but don't don't worry about me. Well, one of the one of the daughters-in-law, Orpa, not Oprah, Orpa, um, she says, "All right, I hear you. I'm out." <laughs> okay, 
But Ruth, who the, the book of the Bible is named after, Ruth says, no, no, actually, I am going to stay with you. And actually, in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, I'm going to read this to you. This is just an incredibly beautiful passage of Scripture. After Naomi says, she says, uh, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. Verse 16, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Wow. What loyalty. What faithfulness. There was really no benefit to Ruth to stay with Naomi. The, uh, uh, an, an elderly widow was not someone you wanted to, to, to give your life to. All right? It would have made a lot more sense for her to hang back in her own hometown um, and, and, and marry again because she was still young, have children and all that. But she's faithful She's faithful. Um, I love that passage of scripture. As a matter of fact, when we had wedding rings, uh, my wedding ring, Tiffany inscribed Ruth uh, 1, 16 and 17 on the inside. And so it's just an amazing verse of faithfulness and loyalty. So they make it back. They make it back to Bethlehem. And everyone's like, holy moly, wow, look, everyone, it's Naomi. And she's got some foreign lady with her. That's, wow, that's really awesome. Tell us all that happened. Hey, where's, I don't see Elimelech. What's going on? And just a few verses down, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, they say, is it really Naomi? Verse 20, Naomi says this, don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. The word Naomi, and now in Jewish culture, just so you understand, the names of people match the characteristics of the person. And it was not uncommon for someone to be renamed after a certain overwhelming characteristic uh, was identified in their life. Okay, You see that people are renaming each other all throughout the Bible, right? It's just it, because it, it wasn't just a name uh, that you file your taxes with. It was actually an identity that you took on. And so the, the word uh, Naomi actually means pleasant. So like, hey, it's the pleasant lady. The pleasant lady's back. She's like, don't call me that. Call me Marah, which means bitter. She's, she's going through some stuff. All right, things aren't going so well for her. The Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And she was pretty sure she knew whose fault it was. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? It's interesting in the King James, New King James Version, one of the translations, when it says uh, has caused me to suffer, it can, it can be translated um, that he is, the God has testified against me. Imagine you're on, you're on trial and Jesus walks in, you're like, yes! My Savior's here. He's going to take the bullet for me. And he gets in the stand. He goes, yeah, no, they're, they're trouble. Get rid of them. That's how she felt. That's how she felt. God's testified. You know, this is all God. This is all God's fault. So, you know, just call me bitter. Call me bitter. Not a good time. 
They arrive back in Bethlehem during the barley harvest. So Ruth, since she's younger and, and everything, she begins to go out. They, they, I'm not going to get into all this, but they actually part of the welfare system of uh, Israel is that they would allow the widows and the poor to come. They would leave a little bit of, of the harvest so they could come and pick it themselves. And so Ruth is, is in that group of people after the original harvesters to, to pick grain. And she ends up at a place of a man called Boaz. Now, Boaz, uh, we read in Scripture, is a distant relative of, of Elimelech, the, the husband of Naomi, okay? A distant relative of Elimelech. And so uh, he inquires. He's like, hey, who's the foreign chick, right? Because she, maybe she's wearing different clothes or maybe she has a different skin tone. or I'm, We're not totally sure. But he, he's like, who's this, who's this lady? And they say, hey, this is Naomi's uh, daughter-in-law, whose husband passed away, and she followed her all the way back from Moab. From her, She left her homeland and came with Naomi back here to Bethlehem. So Boaz takes a liking to her, and is like, wow, this is amazing. I've heard about what you've done, and asks her you know, where she's staying, allows her to drink water, tells the farmhands, hey, leave this girl alone, because you know how farmhands are, yeah? <laughs> Any farmhands here? Yes. So he takes care of her. Takes care of her all the way through the barley harvest. Then the wheat harvest comes. Takes care of her through the wheat harvest. Allows her to pick not just the leftover, but the good stuff. He's really taking care of her. And so uh, Naomi suggests to Ruth, hey, why don't you ask Boaz to be your kinsman redeemer? Now let me explain what that is. So in, in, in Jewish law, it was a custom that if a woman, because again, sorry ladies, but at this point in time, uh, there was no benefit to, uh, to a woman to be alone. She needed to be married to thrive in this culture. So if her husband died, okay, especially if she was still of childbearing years, um, the nearest relative, hopefully the brother of the dead husband, would redeem her kinsman, family. He would redeem her. In other words, he would take her as his wife and, and would specifically try to have children with her so that she might have an heir so the male heir could inherit the dead father's stuff. Are you with me? And I know that's really weird for us. Just for the record, if I pass away, I don't want my brother anywhere near my wife, okay? I love my brother, but that's just a little weird for me, Okay? <laughs> But that's what they did. As a matter of fact, if you want to read about it, it's Deuteronomy chapter 25, 5 through 10. It's really funny. It was, there's actually rules, and, and I'm not making this up. If a woman went to the city gates and said, I need a kinsman redeemer, the brother was there and he refused to do it, she was allowed to do two things. One, spit in his face. And two, she was supposed to, and I don't know, <laughs> she was supposed to take his sandal, like just grab a sandal off his foot. And run away with it. So that, so that he would always be known, his family would always be known as the one who didn't have a sandal. I'm telling you, it's in the scripture. It's, it's Deuteronomy 25. It's really weird. But the sandals represented your honor, your oath. As a matter of fact, when people would sell land to each other, they would, they would, uh, they would throw their sandal. They'd say, oh yeah, sold. That's what they would do. They would just totally... Throw their sand. This isn't a sandal. This is my, my shoe, but you get the point, right? So, so that's what's going on. That's what's going on. So they want Boaz to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Now, there's a lot, because she's a foreign woman, okay, it's just a little, little odd situation. 
So she goes down to where uh, Boaz is sleeping at the threshing floor. And this is going to seem weird too, but it's not. It wasn't, it wasn't um, a bad thing. It was just the cultural thing to do. She takes the covers off of his feet while he's sleeping, and she lays down at his feet. This is the way of asking, would you spread your blanket, your skirt, your covering, both natural and spiritual, over me? Would you take me in? Boaz says yes. He's honored to do it, but he says there's an issue. There's another guy that's actually closer to you and in, 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 you know, in kin, and we need to check with him first. He has first right of refusal. Boaz goes to the guy. You can kind of tell he really doesn't want the guy to do it. The guy decides, I can't redeem this girl. It would endanger my estate, right? You bring in a foreign lady. She's now my wife. And the kids are like, hey, what about my inheritance, you know? Make Christmas really awkward. So he says, hey, if you want to redeem her, you redeem her. So Boaz redeems her. Naomi comes with a package. The land comes there. Uh, Boaz and Ruth have a child. And uh, it's a beautiful picture of God's redemption of us. Let me read to you, though, this is, the, uh, this is at the end of the book, because we're talking about Naomi here, and we're going to read Ruth, we're going to read 13 through 17. So, Boaz took Ruth into his home, she became his wife, when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town, now remember, when Naomi first came into Bethlehem, it was the women of the town like, oh, Naomi. And she's like, no, Marah, I'm bitter, I'm mad, I'm angry. God did this to me. He didn't have to let me. Why did you let me, why did you even let me go? Why did you take my husband? Why did you take my sons? Remember, Marah, she was really mad. But the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Speaking of Ruth. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi, not Marah, Naomi has a son again. They named him Obed. Now check this out. He became the father of Jesse and Jesse was the grandfather of of David, King David. Notice they were in Bethlehem. About 28 births later, we have a man named Joseph who married a woman named Mary who bore the Messiah Jesus. Directly in the lineage of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So God redeemed not only Ruth, but redeemed the bitterness and the bitter heart that was growing in Naomi. Pretty amazing stuff. As I was praying about this story, um, it was the bitterness that stood out to me. We've all been in situations, and if you haven't yet, I'm not trying to pronounce a curse over you or anything like that, but scripture says that in this world you have tribulations. I mean, stuff happens that we don't want, right? Yeah, stuff happens that we don't want. And, and I wanted to focus really quickly. I wanted to spend the rest of my time on the idea of, of the bitterness of Naomi. Bitterness is a really, really destructive thing. And I want to show you a scripture here. It's Hebrews twelve fifteen in the New Living Translation. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. 
Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Based on this scripture, I want to show you this morning three things that we can learn from Naomi's bitterness. Three things that we can learn. The first one is this. Bitterness develops in isolation. Bitterness develops in isolation. It says, the first part of the scripture said, look after one another. Look after one another. So you need one another. You need one another. Now, I know it seems like it's increasingly hard to trust people these days. You get to know someone, and then you realize, oh, wait, this person isn't what I thought they were going to be. Or maybe we disagree politically, or, or maybe, you know, we're just of a different cultural background or whatever. It's really hard to trust people. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Look, when you isolate yourself, you aren't just making, yeah, could have been a better decision. You are raging against wisdom. You are bowing up against God when you operate in isolation. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Solitude, being still, being quiet, is a grace from God to help us reflect, to help us decompress, to help us listen to his voice. But isolation is a tool of the enemy. It makes us feel lonely, disconnected, and susceptible to deceit. You need times of solitude, but you need to be aware of isolation. You need to be aware of isolation. This is where the root of bitterness grows. If you look at Naomi's life, it was once she was away She was away from her friends, away from her extended family. And when tragedy struck, she didn't have a grid to process it because she was isolated. Now, some theologians say, you know, they never should have moved to Moab and they were out of the will of God. And that's why I I, I don't, that scripture didn't say that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to, uh, um, you know, guess at what the will of God was for Naomi and Elimelech and their family. And I'm not going to assume that because they were in obedience that something bad happened. Because I've seen bad things happen when people are in obedience. But I do know it's true. I do know it's absolutely true that we need times of solitude, but we don't need isolation. Isolation gives you a skewed perspective of the world. Because you're, not, you're no longer having good interactions, you're only having bad interactions. I, I've seen, I, I've watched as, as elderly people, especially as they're not mobile anymore and they stay at home all the time, and maybe you've seen this, and, and their best friend is the news. Well, they shouldn't call it the news, they should call it the bad news. Because it's all bad stuff. There's, I mean, there's no good stuff. You don't see the reporter come on today and say, you know, um, today in this huge metropolis city, there were a million people who didn't have a car wreck. No, they say today there was a car wreck. One. And that's what's reported. Not the millions that didn't have a car wreck. And so it, it skews, isolation skews your perception of reality, Okay. We guys, we we can't be isolated. No, no, I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir here because y'all are here. You're not in isolation. Okay? But you're gonna have the opportunity to be offended at someone. You're gonna have the opportunity to say, oh man, I just don't feel like being apart. God loves me even if I don't, if I'm not apart. 
Do you see what I'm saying? But here's the thing. I want you to think about this. Jesus never mentored individuals. Think about that. He mentored groups. The smallest group at a time we ever see him interacting with is just the closest three disciples. Then the 12, then the 70, then the hundreds that he appeared to. Jesus didn't mentor individuals. He mentored groups. And you're not the exception to that. Amen? Amen. Isolation is a tool of the enemy, and bitterness will develop in isolation. Here's the next thing we can learn uh, from Naomi's bitterness. Bitterness grows independent from God's grace. Bitterness grows independent, separate from God's grace. Now, I say that because our scripture in Hebrews 12 said, uh, look after each other, that's the, the togetherness, the one anothering, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And then it goes on, because bitterness can... So failing to receive the grace of God can bring about a root of bitterness in your life. Let me explain what that means. Now, God's grace is... is, We talk about this here some, but it's, it's, it's misunderstood. Grace does not equal mercy. Mercy is God's passive relenting from smiting you when he deserves to. All right? Mercy is when God overlooks your offense. Okay? But that's not grace. That's mercy. Two different words, two different meanings, two different purposes. Mercy is important. Mercy is real. Mercy is wonderful. But once God has relented, has been passive, and has not, not judged you according to your sins, okay, then he operates in grace. Grace is active. Grace, grace can be defined as God's willingness to move on your behalf. God's willingness to move on your behalf. It's active. It's an option. He provides an option for you. 2 Timothy 2.1, the Apostle Paul is encouraging young pastor Timothy in Ephesus. And he says, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. New King James says, be strengthened in the grace. So you can be strong in grace or you can be weak in grace. If you can be strengthened in grace, then you can not be strengthened in grace. Do you follow me? Okay? And so you have to learn to be strong in the grace of God. What does that look like? That that means that you allow God's movement, God's activity on your behalf to not just overlook your sin, which he does, but to empower you to walk free from your sin but to empower you to do what he's called you to do. See, it's not just the relenting, the mercy. It's not just the forgiveness of your sins. It's the empowerment of the believer. Do you see that? So if we look in Naomi's life, she had an opportunity to lay down the bitterness. She could have not been bitter. She could have been better. She could have let the grace of God move in her life and said, look, this has happened. This is terrible. I miss my husband, Elimelech. I miss my sons. I didn't intend for this to happen, but I know that God has a way. And God was faithful anyway, and he sent Ruth. Scripture says she was seven times. She was better than seven sons, which is about right, the male-to-female ratio. Ladies are way... (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Guys are like the worst caretakers, right? Absolutely. You want a lady... I'm speaking in generalizations. No male nurses get mad at me, okay? But yeah, so there was an opportunity for Naomi to not be bitter, 
but to take the situation. But, but she, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't strengthen herself in the grace of God. She didn't grow in the grace of God. And so bitterness took root in her heart. Here's the third thing we can learn. Learn from our bitterness. Bitterness hurts others. In our scripture, Hebrews 12, it says, Watch out that no poisonous, poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So you can't just say, well, I know I'm bitter in my heart against God, but you know, that's between me and God. No, it's not. It's going to affect other people. It's absolutely going to affect other people. And here's why. There are three other uses of this word for bitterness in the New Testament, and two of them specifically relate to how you talk. So it means you're either going to be talking to someone about your bitter heart or about someone in your bitter heart. And it is going to affect others. Ephesians chapter 4, 30 through 31 It says, do not bring sorrow or grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness is the first one. See, it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, you'd think if he's about to list some stuff that grieved the Holy Spirit, he'd start with like some really big sins that we all, oh, for shame, that we all like want to point the finger at. First one he does is bitterness. Bitterness is the fastest route to grieving the Spirit. Do not bring sorrow to his Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Have you ever been talking? you ever let your tongue get, go beyond uh, what the Lord has allowed you to do, and you say something about someone, or you say something mean, you say something harsh, and you just feel that, um, that just that like you hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings? I have. Yeah, it grieves him. It grieves him. The dead giveaway of a bitter heart is a complaining tongue. And other people are usually going to be the subject of your vicious words. I encourage you. Lots of times bitterness is hiding in your heart. If, if, you've, if you're married um, or if you've got a good friend that you can trust, ask them, say, hey, are my words bitter? Do I talk, talk bitterly against people? Because it sneaks up on you. It sneaks up on you. Look, I, I just, I just, I'm not going to get off on politics, but guys, I, I just, as your pastor, I need to warn you. And please, you can, you can do whatever you want to. You're going to stand in front of God. You are going to be tempted these next few months leading up to the election with a bitter heart because you're going to get mad. You're going to get mad at people who don't agree with you politically. And you need to stop it. You need to keep that in check. You're going to be miserable. I'm telling you. I mean, you're free to do what you want to. I am telling you. And here's how you know your words. If someone disagrees with your political stance and to you they're an idiot, you're bitter. I'm serious. If, 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 some, if you just, I just don't, it makes you angry that they don't want to vote for who you want to vote for. You're bitter. You're bitter because you're not, you're not looking at them the way God sees them. You're looking at them through your political lens and you've usurped the kingdom of God for politics and that's just sad. Sad. Politics are going to fade away. It's temporary. It's just a temporary mode of governing people here. 
God's on the throne regardless of who gets elected. There's one president, and it's Jesus, okay? Don't allow this to get into your heart. Please, please don't allow it to get into your heart. Striving for your candidate all the while alienated people who Jesus died for. You no longer have a platform in their life because you made them so mad. Come on. Come on. All right, back to Naomi. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. It was just in my heart. Okay. Back to Naomi. I, I, I I I want you to consider this from her story. Your circumstances are not an accurate indicator of how God feels about you. His word is. Your circumstances, what has happened to you in the past, maybe what you're going through right now, whatever's happening to you right now, it's not a good and accurate indicator of how God feels about you. His word is the clearest, is the clearest explanation of how God feels about you. He says that you're loved that you're wanted, that you're redeemed, that you are a chosen generation, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's what he says about you. He says that you are a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Don't look to your circumstances and think, God thinks this about me because this happened. That's just not true. He said in his word what he thinks about you, and he loves you. Amen? Here's my question for you, okay? Are you willing to take the trust fall? (laughs) Maybe your trust fall ended up like Isaac's has in the past. You thought someone was going to catch you and no one did. But are you willing to take the trust fall into Jesus' arms? Look, you can be bitter or you can get better. His grace is everything that you need in this life. And then my next question is, are you, as we've asked this at the end of everyone, are you willing to surrender your story? past, present, and future to God so that your story, just like Naomi's story, can help someone else experience the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer.